poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of Tactical Tuesday. My name is John. I am one of Brad's private coaching students, and I will be your host for this week's episode. My guest today is none other than the founder of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast and the leader of Greatness Village, Coach Brad Wilson. How are you doing today, Brad? <laughs> doing, doing very well, John. It's weird being a guest on my own thing. Oh, don't worry. I'm sure uh, you'll get more comfortable as the podcast goes on. It seems to be the case for uh, everyone that's new to podcasting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, what what the plan is for this this week's episode is to ask Brad a handful of questions uh, that will cover some of the highlights and maybe some of the lowlights of his career as a professional poker player. Uh, some of these questions you will probably recognize from the round two interviews of uh, Brad's Chasing Poker Greatness podcast guests. And I just pretty much plucked the questions that I find most interesting and decided to kind of switch the tables and uh, ask them to Brad. So the first question I wanted to ask you was, how did you get into poker? Who was your biggest influence in becoming a poker f- professional? And how did that uh, relationship take place? So... It's twofold. I've told the story of how I got into poker before, but it was through a spades partner, uh, somebody that I played at a high level of spades with. Just, I was, when I played spades, probably from 12 to 18. Okay. Uh, and And it was like, basically you get home from school, fire up Yahoo spades, sit down, play. Um, I missed a lot of school. I did a lot of skipping school. So, Basically, when I would miss school or skip school, like if my friend was on, we would hook up and just spend the day playing like eight or 10 games of spades. And we we were very competitive. I I think that may not need to be said, but that's how it was where I was as a young person, not very fun to be around in a competitive atmosphere, I think, where especially spades, uh, I was kind of ruthlessly hard on my partners. Um, Like if I was going to play at a high level, then like I wanted them to play at a high level too. And so I didn't play with random people. I would play with Jason and he was good. He was smart. He was clever. Um, We discussed strategy. We broke down theory. And for many years, he was my favorite partner. And, you know, we played in spades tournaments together like one time in real life. From school? How'd you you know Jason? Oh man, this is a funny story. So I was playing spades one night uh, at like three in the morning, probably 13 years old (laughs) as, as kids did uh, over the, over a summer. And there was a thing in Yahoo spades where like, basically you could start berating your opponent and taking like three minutes to make every decision. And it was like griefing before we knew what griefing was. And Jason had made a decision that from my perspective was like a really smart, intelligent play. And it had backfired and his, partner was screaming at him through the chat in in the game and uh taking three minutes every decision and 
I was just thinking to myself, like, oh, this guy, he actually made a really smart, clever move there. And so from there, I kind of reached out to him and sent him a message and was like, hey, man, I think that was really smart. Um, you want to partner up and play some games? And that was just kind of how it happened. Like, I just randomly played against him one night and um, we became friends. And like, we, at, like, one of our major goals was to like have, 20 and 0 records on Yahoo Spade, see how far we could take an undefeated streak. And I that's a story of how I probably have a thousand Yahoo Spades email addresses. And we did hit 20 and 0 multiple times. And I, I think I think the best compliments that we got back in the day was like we would play against people and they would accuse us of cheating and do the whole three minutes a card thing. And one time somebody said, uh, y'all have to be cheating. Like you're just playing too perfectly. And I think that that's probably the best compliment that I ever got while I was playing spades. Okay, so you're playing spades. You're like 18 years old now. You still partners with Jason playing together at that age? Um, maybe, but not like it was in high school. You know, I was 18. I, when I graduated high school, I had zero interest in pursuing anything. I had literally no idea what I wanted to do with myself. And I took the gap year plan and I realized it was kind of like when you were trying to implement the checkbacks on the flop last month, I didn't have a plan for checking back and <laughs> taking my gap year. So it wasn't a thought through thing. It was just like, I hate school. I don't know what I want to do. I need to make sense of the world. And so I, I moved from Atlanta back to my hometown of Chattanooga, Tennessee. I was living with my grandparents and just kind of floating around trying to find myself as an 18-year-old person and really figure out what I wanted to do with my life. How does poker come in? Yeah, so I my first job was a factory, which I was making $10.50 an hour and working from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. It had insurance. And if, if you know much about like the Southeast, like getting a job, a stable job that has insurance and that like has money coming in is like an aspiration. And so my family was like pretty okay with me working at the factory and I hated it. Like I can't describe to you how much I hated it. Like there was, it was DuPont. So it was like a lot of nylon and stuff. And I remember they had a thing called fiber stock and it was basically like the, the nylon that was below grade that they kind of grouped together and would like sell at a discount. But really, if you could just imagine a, a room that is like, multiple football fields large with just a bunch of yarn on these little buggies it's like endless sea of yarn so you would go to fiber stock and like you you just go in that nobody could find you like so i remember like at two in the morning you know getting sent to fiber stock like i would <laughs> i would go in the middle of it and just sleep <laughs> for like two hours in the fiber stock <laughs> hope that nobody hope that nobody uh my boss didn't walk up on me yeah, I wasn't very good at staying awake all night. I was very miserable the next day. It was a horrible, horrible experience. I only lasted three months before I, I called it quits. And then I I shifted to Applebee's and being a host there and then a server. And again, kind of just figuring out my place in the world. It was much better socially working at Applebee's, much better hours. I made friends. I had like socialization. I could go do things afterwards. And really that was where that was where I was at when 
poker kind of came into my life, but poker was poker was on the radar even before then, even before Moneymaker. You know, I, I remember in the late nineties watching rounders uh on VHS like in 2000 and just thinking like, you know, when you say the biggest influence in becoming a poker professional, like my answer is almost Mike McD. Like my, I loved Mike McD. I, I love that story. It was compelling. It was like the underground. It was doing something exciting and gambling, playing high stakes poker and like putting it all on the line and having this like code that everybody knew and that they followed and like, didn't really make sense to many other people, but made sense to him that appealed to me in such a way, especially coming from my spades background of like, wow, they're just playing a different card game, but it's for like real, real big stakes and real, real money. And so that was always a thing. Jason had played on Paradise Poker, you know, in the year 2000. You know, I remember that being on my radar. My stepdad deposited on Paradise, but I kind of stopped thinking about poker a ton. And when I was 18, that was around the time that Moneymaker boom kind of happened. I, I remember people. What's interesting is I was going to pursue poker before the Moneymaker boom. It, it was just a, a nice little culmination, nice little circumstance that happened where my friend Jason, he went to Foxwoods. He got like something like 18th in a tournament for like 2,800. And I remember thinking like, holy shit, you made 2,800. Like I, I didn't even know to subtract the buy-in or like that he more than likely lost everything that he made in the pit later that night. But I was just like, that's amazing. And, and he's telling me stories, right? He's like, I was playing against Kathy Liebert and Huck Seed. And I'm like, who's Huck Seed? He's like, dude, like Huck Seed, if Huck Seed was in rounders, he would be Johnny Chan, right? And I'm like, wow, like you're playing with like a Johnny Chan-esque player. Um, you know, Amir Vahidi was in that tournament. Amir Vahidi took the turn- tournament down. He's like, Amir Vahidi, like he showed up to the casino, like in a limo with like a giant cigar. And I, I think to just like him passing through Chattanooga from Foxwoods, having that talk, that was when, that was when it was pretty clear that like, I'm excited. This is, this is appealing. This is fucking awesome. Like, um, and really that was around Christmas time, I think. And around the new year, I, I just called him up and I said, Hey man, if I save up money and move down to Florida, which was 10 hours away, like, would you be willing to help me out? And he said, yeah, like I would love to, cause he was by himself on on his own path. And we had been partners in spades for many years and had a relationship. And so that was really the catalyst of, yeah, let's, let's go do this thing. And, you know, moneymaker was sort of happening at at the same time. Like I remember people watching moneymaker on TV, my fellow servers, and it it was just a, everybody thought poker was so cool, but because of my spades background, I think that kind of gave me the confidence that like, if this is a game of skill and there's theory involved and there's strategy, I understand how deep spades is. If poker is similar, i I'm going to, I'm going to be able to win. Like I'm going to be able to make carve out a career path here. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, just last follow-up question to this, to this sort of, uh, this topic, you moved down to Florida, save up some money, moved down to Florida to learn, start getting coached or whatever by Jason. What was like the first hand of real poker that you ever played? Was it online? Was it live? How long did it take for you to like, like play a, a hand of poker that wasn't like home game with friends or play money or very quickly. It didn't take very long at all. I mean, I played on like party poker. 
micro stick, like 25 to limit. That was really all they had. I, but my first real hand of poker came at the Daytona racetrack. It was like $2 poker, period. Like every street, $2 limit across the board. Uh, me and Jason actually, funnily enough, we commuted an hour to go play there. I lost, but it was a lot of fun. And I remember the experience was really good. And the first session that I played, like when I, that was before I had moved to Florida, actually, I was kind of testing it out. But when I actually played a real session, it was like, I was playing four, eight limit and I had aces. I believe I told this story on the podcast before, but basically I had aces. I was like raising and re-raising every street. I don't know what the board was. I don't know what the runout was. I was just ramming and jamming <laughs> appropriately or inappropriately with aces on every street. And I win the pot. It gets pushed my way. And, you know, you're playing four, eight limit. Like that's a shit ton of like $1 chips. Yeah. So it's this really big pot. <laughs> and I was, it was on a boat. So we went to international waters and I remember kind of looking out like the porthole and thinking like, I don't feel so good. Like what's happening? <laughs> like what's happening right now? I scooped this pot. I couldn't even stack the chips up. Like I ran out spewed all over the deck like just there was like a canopy covering the first level i mean it just splatted on the canopy and i mean (laughs) that was really the first legitimate hand of poker i played i won with aces and i ended up puking my guts out (laughs) that's that's a good story though and that that was how it all began i never won a 32 dollar pot before and just got way too excited and (laughs) couldn't keep it together That was when I learned about Dramamine and how important it was that I always take some before I go out on the boat. (laughs) All right. I'm glad I asked that question now. (laughs) So now that we've finished off that first question with the story of Brad peeking over the edge of the boat, we'll go into the jump now. And after the jump, we're going to ask Brad probably my two favorite questions that he asks his podcast guests. Um, I think they've definitely resulted in probably the best stories that I've heard on his podcast. Uh, We'll ask Brad about his favorite poker session ever and his least favorite poker session ever. So stick around and find out about Brad's happiest and most painful moments, probably as a professional poker player. Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast? For now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the Live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. Welcome back to this Reverse Tactical Tuesday where we're asking Brad the questions and uh, getting answers from Brad. Our next question, uh, probably, like I said earlier, is my favorite question ever, and I'm pretty excited to hear what Brad's story is going to be. Brad, what's the favorite poker session you've ever had? And if you can share as many details as possible, I would 
appreciate it. <laughs> I like it when people talk about like specific hands, specific pots, and like I know like sometimes it's not totally comfortable for everyone to like name names, but I don't know. I think that's sort of that's what makes the stories most entertaining to me is like knowing, you know, who was there and how the exact hands went down. So whatever so, you can spare. Yeah, so what's interesting is my most favorite session, I don't remember much about it. Um, or one of my most. I, I think that I have a lot of favorite sessions. Uh, there were times early in my career, you know, where I was very irresponsible. And, you know, after after doing well in Florida and really finding my footing as a, a poker player, I encountered struggles relatively soon, you know, a year or two years down the road where I didn't have any credit and didn't know much about the world. I, I didn't, I, I view myself as somebody that kind of raised themselves and kind of learned what to do through trial and error. And one of the things that I did early on was me and Jason still friends and pursuing things together. I moved to Chattanooga and he kind of came with me and Jason had won a tournament. Jason had had some success and we needed a place to stay. We didn't have any credit because I just told you my, my story of there's no credit in there where you're 18 living with your grandparents. And then you just kind of move out and you're a professional poker player and like, okay. So we decided that my best friend growing up, we would buy a house and we would buy his house that his parents were selling. I was very friendly with their family. And ultimately what ended up happening there was me and Jason paid a lot of money around $40,000 in cash. Uh, and it kind of fell through and we didn't have anything in writing. We didn't have any legal backup. And so what ultimately ended up happening was they sold the house to someone else um, at a $40,000 discount. The person they sold it to was like a family member and basically said that they're not going to be paying Jason and me back. So what? yeah, there was a, a period of time there where the struggle was very real. I was losing maybe one of my most cherished relationships with a guy that had been my best friend since the fifth grade, whose parents had kind of just stolen from us. And I remember specifically, there was a session where me and me and Jason were struggling and we were kind of like, as poker players, we did a thing back in the day too, just trying to figure out how to move forward. Um, we combined bankrolls. And so like to, so that we could like kind of push ourselves. And so he would play and I would play and we would just like basically never do that for anybody that's ever considered doing such a thing. Never do that because only bad things happen. But I remember specifically playing in a home game during those days where money was very limited and tight and we were struggling to survive. It was decided that with like our last, I don't know, thousand dollars or whatever, I was going to go play in the home game. I was the representative for our group. So I went and played and I remember playing a pot where I was all in on the river. Um, actually a guy put me all in and I had third pair. There's a pair of fives and I checked and he like, he jammed and he was playing out of his rack. He just like stuck his rack in there and he was staring at me. I remember like him, him kind of like glaring at me and me kind of looking at him and sitting there like, okay, if I lose this, I've been sent here as the ambassador for <laughs> Brad Jason LLC. Mm -hmm. If I lose this, 
uh, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but fuck it. This dude's glaring at me, and he doesn't have much natural value, which wasn't even like a way that I thought back then. But basically it was like, I don't think this guy's got it. Um, so I called, and he was bluffing. And with the last of our money, I doubled through and ended up having a pretty good night. Um, things kind of went things, – things got better pretty quickly after that with some like tournament scores and some good things that happened on party poker. But yeah, that, that's a pretty memorable, memorable session. I wasn't actually going to tell that story. I just kind of fell into it because it felt like I needed to kind of explain that situation. Yeah. Oh man. I'm, I'm actually surprised by like how many people on your podcast answer, like what's your favorite poker session ever with like, I had case money on the table and third pair and this guy ripped it on the river and i uh had to make like the biggest call of my life which like springboarded my career into like what it is now i even if i don't win i i think because it was such a small amount of money relatively like not that a thousand dollars is just a tiny bit of money but like it it's something you can make back and i had been honing my skill and obviously had a lot of success before we kind of got taken advantage of and i i think that it like it would have been another period of like rebuilding or figuring it out and then kind of moving forward from there. But that was a, that was a pretty memorable hand where it was like, I remember reflecting on it later and just thinking like, man, all the money, all the money that we have is on the table and I've got third pair. And like, I just click call because I think this guy's bluffing. And I guess like, that's sort of how I've, how I think about my career is that whenever I'm in those moments, like I'm just, something's going to happen. I'm going to go with what I think and let the chips fall where they may. Wow. What's the, what do you have a, do you know Jason now? Do you talk to him ever? You guys. It's a, it's a little bit of a sore subject. He's, he's a good, good human being that I loved as a brother and that I, I would have done anything in the world. And I think that there are just some, some demons that you can't outrun as it relates to addiction and stuff. And at some point, you know, at some point people grow apart and you know it's a it's a relationship that I don't I don't have that I miss and I still cherish those times and I, I think he's a yeah I love him as a human being but it just we don't really keep in contact and I don't know if he's even in the poker world anymore. Okay then moving on to the last question of the interview. Don't know how a poker session could compare to getting robbed of 40k by your best friend's parents in your early 20s but we'll ask it anyways (laughs) do you have a least favorite poker session or maybe a different way to phrase it is like the most painful poker session that you've ever played i've got a lot of painful poker sessions and i guess what maybe this this one was painful in multiple ways and i think i was very young again which is kind of the theme with these kind of stories is that basically young Brad was kind of dumb and just flailing his way through life, clicking buttons through life. Uh, but I was friends with Vanessa Selps. She's because I, we played against each other on party poker. We started chatting in the chat and then we friended each other on AOL and semester. What year is this? Like who, who is Vanessa Selps like at this point in time? Is she she like- is F Slexy duck on AOL instant messenger. Like her, uh clever little 
it's like dyslexic fuck with the words, with the, the letters all mixed up, right? You know, something that like 21 year olds would think is very hilarious. So she was just a friend who was sweating me in tournaments and I would sweat her in cash games some and we would talk on a regular basis. She was in Spain. I'm not exactly sure why, but she was basically in college at, at Yale and was in Spain on some like student exchange type situation. And uh, she flew back to the States and basically what had happened was, and again, I don't know if, I don't know if I should be sharing this, but her mom got sick. Her mom got sick. She flew back home. Her mom ended up, her mom passed away. And so I got the call from Vanessa and she was basically saying, she told me what had happened and obviously it was horrific and just awful. And I, I felt horrible for her. And she, she said, you know, what did I want to come up to Foxwoods to play poker? Um, she was inviting some friends to kind of just distract herself, I guess, from what had been going on and, you know, 21 years old and, just no attachment to anything. It's like, yeah, I booked a flight for the next day and I flew up to Foxwoods and spent time with Vanessa. We had dinner with like her friends from Harvard at the Harvard campus. We ended up spending the night with her friends at Harvard. And yeah, she's, she's just an amazing, amazing, amazing human being. And we went to Foxwoods to play and I took 5k with me. Um, that was like, I had 5k at the time, again, we're 2005. That probably represented 25% of my bankroll. I don't even know. But What's it was like... planning on playing when you take 5K? I have no idea. I just, <laughs> just whatever's running. <laughs> I mean, basically, I was staying for like three days. So whatever I could buy in for 5K with was what I was going to play, I guess. All right. Um, so I'm playing at Foxwoods, hanging out with Vanessa. And I went back to the room because I was tired. And she kind of called me maybe the night before. And she's like, hey, Brad, like, come play with me. Like, I'm, I think it'd be fun to play together. I said, okay, I'll leave my room, go play poker. Um, buy in for 5K right on Vanessa's left because whatever, that's, <laughs> again, just what I did back then. And a hand went down that was a very weird hand i think i've described it on the podcast but long story short i tried to bluff vanessa in a 10k pot when i knew she had a set and spoiler alert it didn't work out so vanessa ends up stacking me for all the money that i brought and probably 25 percent of my bankroll and so being the emotionally immature human that i was i was like kind of doing the walk around the casino like uh like feeling sorry for myself and you know just whatever jam the river (laughs) why do i do this to myself like i had a thing back then where like i would i would blow up like that and kind of walk away from the table like and be like why did i do that again like i I, why do why do i keep doing this like in spots where like i know they're not going to fold and yet i'm just pushing the money in anyway like i had no there was no off button for my style and uh yeah i was feeling sorry for myself and vanessa ended up wrapping her session up and we kind of connected uh connected and we were talking and like i was sitting there pitying myself for losing 25 percent of my bankroll um and i guess in a moment like vanessa just kind of 
started crying and, you know, said that this was the first time she had played poker and didn't, didn't have the chance to call her mom. And I, I think that like, when we say like least favorite poker session, that was a moment where I felt a lot of shame about how I was, how I was acting in the moment, feeling sorry for myself when this human being, instead of being a good friend and comforting to a, a, my fellow human being, I, I, I was so consumed with myself and what I had lost. And so I felt a, a large degree of shame from that moment. And so this is kind of where the story, this is, this is like where I get what I deserve. Um, so we part ways. Uh, I book a hotel room for like three hours cause it's 8am and my flight is at two. So it's like, okay, whatever. Like I, I just got to book my hotel room. Fuck it. I'm beyond my threshold of misery at this point. Like I've lost my 5k to my friend who I went to go visit. I have no money. I've got to like, actually, no, I didn't even take 5k. She let me borrow 5k. And so I had to go back home and send her 5k. So like she stacks me, <laughs> stacks me, back. gets her own money. And then I send her more money. Um, so I go to the hotel room. I pay 150 bucks for like a few hours of sleep. I tell them to wake me up. To, I tell them to send for a cab at like 1 p.m. I'm like, I need it to be here at 1 uh, or 2. I need it to be here at 2. So I wake up and it is 1.45 and I call the front desk and I'm like, have you ordered a cab? They say no. I'm like, son of a bitch, like order one. So the cab driver, it takes him forever. He's late. We're driving to the airport. He gets lost on the way to the airport. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me, guy? Like, seriously, I get to the airport. I miss my flight. The person at the front desk, I'm like, can I reschedule? Can I rebook it? Like, what are my options here? And they're like, well, we have another one um, we, that we can put you on. It's at 6 p.m. tomorrow. And it's like 3 p.m., and I, so now I'm sitting there like, am I going to wait here for over 24 hours at this airport with no money? I'm like, how much, how much is another flight that's sooner? And she's like, it's $600 and it leaves in an hour and a half. I said, again, beyond my threshold of misery, sold. Give me the flight. Give me out of here. So I fly home again, not feeling very great about myself. I, I get home uh, or I get to Atlanta because I lived in Chattanooga at the time. What I would do back then was I would drive my car from Chattanooga. I had a friend that lived in Atlanta, so I would park my car at their house. Oh, and they, it's two hours. Oh, okay. Uh, so they would like take me to the airport and pick me up, right? So they come to pick me up at the airport and I flew Delta. I remember that much because my luggage got lost. <laughs> I arrive at the airport. My luggage is not there. And I'm like, where are the, where are my bags? Like, they're like, oh, well they got lost. Um, we'll find them. And like, we will send them to your home address. So I gave them my home address, which is in Chattanooga, by the way. So I leave the airport with no bags because my luggage is lost. And I just paid $600 for this flight. I go back to my friend's house and I'm like, man, I'm so ready to go home. Like I just, I'm ready to go be back in my home and <laughs> be very sad about myself as a human being. And I look for my keys in my pocket because my car is at, at their house. And I realized something. My keys were in my bags, 
and now my bags are being shipped to my house and I have no way to drive home. So again, I'm like, I, I, I must, this is like payback for many, many things that I've done in my life. I think all in this one trip. So I, I call my friend, my roommate at the time. I'm like, Josh, Hey man, can you overnight me a key to my car? Cause he had a spare key. He's like, yeah, sure, man. I'll overnight it. I'm like, okay, cool. Like this is not the end of the world. I just spend another day in Atlanta. So I'm exhausted. My friends that I'm staying with all have to go to work. I pass out. Um, I wake up and it's around 1 PM or something. When I wake up, I go check the front door and I see like a yellow, sorry, we missed you sticker. Oh, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, so I'm here by myself. I'm like, what time does the post office close? It's that I mentioned that it was like December. It's cold outside. Okay. The post office is three miles away. And it just hit me like a lightning bolt that this is the natural conclusion to this story is me walking six miles in the freezing cold to the post office to get my key so that I could drive home. And uh, yeah, that was how the story ended. <laughs> I walked three miles in the freezing cold to the post office oh. to get my car key and then drove home, sent Vanessa her money and just kind of melted down into a bucket of shame and ooze for a few weeks. Wow. <laughs> okay. I expected the post office to be closed or something by the time you got there, the way this story was going. So It's got to end. The, the pain's got to end at some point. Oh right? man, I didn't, I didn't know where it's going to end. Wow. Okay. That's, uh, that's gotta be probably the most unique, least favorite poker session story I've ever heard. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling these things just happen. I don't know why or how they happen. This was just like a thing that happened. Um, I guess my follow-up question, like, okay. Like if I had a follow-up question, I guess it would be how long did it take you to recover from that? Like, you got home. I guess like that step tournament helps you recover, but like what's you get home, like what do you do for the next few days or weeks or like what? I don't know, to be honest. I can't remember what happened. I guess it all worked out. I, I think that like there was a one one big thing that kind of catapulted me in those days. Me and Jason kind of went our separate ways. And I remember one day I went, you know, he he was playing playing on party poker and I went to lunch. And he asked me, he's like, hey, will you stake me in a satellite? Because he was busto at the time. And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, it's 20 bucks to the nightly 200. And so he plays a satellite and wins a seat to a $200 buy-in tournament, which back then was like a 50K guaranteed, or no, 200K guaranteed every night, where first place was around 50. Um, And somehow... 12 hours later he gets second and I just turned $20 into like 26,000 over the course of 12 hours just because I was at lunch and he's like, Hey, just stake me in this thing. And I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Um, so like, I, I guess that life back then was kind of a roller coaster, ping pong back and forth of some bad things that happened to go along with some really good things that happened. Oh man. Just like doubling and like tripling your net worth. And then like, losing a third of it or a quarter of it the next day. Like, Oh, I, I don't know if I can handle those, that, that level of stress. I didn't, 
that was pretty rare that I lost 5K. That was probably about the worst day that I had ever had at that point, I think. Probably oh. by by a significant margin. Besides, you know, getting money stolen from yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That, did, that didn't really count. But yeah, five, 5K was a pretty significant loss for me, I think, in one day. Yeah, makes sense when you only have 20K or... <laughs> that should probably be the case. All right, so, well, I guess... With the conclusion of that uh, multi-day trek from Connecticut back to Tennessee, we'll end this episode of Tactical Tuesday. Thanks a lot, Coach Brad, for making time and and, uh, answering some of these questions. It actually sounds like you've had a reasonably interesting life, uh, given your answers to these questions. So maybe we'll have to make time for you to be on one of the full-length podcasts in the future. (laughs) Maybe after you make something of yourself in the poker world, we'll have you back on for, for a real episode. Thanks, man. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll keep plugging away. <laughs> keep trying. Uh, you'll make it one day. I, I have I actually, uh, I think I see a lot of uh, potential in you going forward. So uh, thanks to all the listeners who tuned in for this episode of Tactical Tuesday, and we'll be back next week. Thank you, John. Appreciate it being here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.